Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm going to show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. The Medical School HQ Podcast, session number 98. Hey, this is Dog MD, rapper, physician, legendary turntable health revolutionary, and part-time gardener. And you're listening to the Medical School HQ Podcast, hosted by the irredeemably awesome Ryan Gray. Hello, and welcome to the Medical School Headquarters Podcast, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your pre-med success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help you on your path to becoming a physician. If you are taking the MCAT soon and you haven't yet, go to freemcatgift.com and download our awesome free resource all about the MCAT. This week, I am joined again by my lovely co-host, Allison Gray. Hello, everyone. Wow, this is much more tamed from last week. You told me I was too silly last week. Oh, I don't know about too silly, but... <laughs> How are you doing, Allison? I'm great. How are you? I am doing well. This week, as we're releasing this podcast, it's a special week for you, isn't it? Who, me? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's your birthday week. It is my birthday week. You'll be 30-something. <laughs> <laughs> right? So are you. You're thirsty-shoving. <laughs> uh, you're a female, though. I'm not allowed to say how old you are. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's how that's the rules. Yes, it's my birthday week. Awesome. <laughs> thank happy, you. Happy birthday. Thank you, thank you. This podcast comes out on your birthday. So if you're listening to this on Wednesday, October 8th, 2014, when this podcast comes out, go wish Allison a happy birthday on Twitter, which she won't read because she's not on Twitter. I will read it if I get <laughs> tweeted. <laughs> do it at allison underscore mshq or you can send her a birthday email allison at medical school hq.net that'd be awesome Ah, gee thanks so this week we are going to talk about getting a little touchy-feely <laughs> i guess you could call it that most yeah. people call it the physical exam touchy-feely mm. it's catchy i like it <laughs> it's gonna be our title so tell us about what we're going to talk about. Well, we 
Well, in our search to figure out this week's topic, I came across a great piece that was written by Dr. Danielle O'Free, who is an associate professor of medicine at New York University and Bellevue Hospital. And she's written multiple books. This most recent piece that she wrote is entitled The Physical Exam as a Refuge. And it was, again, a piece that was in the Times and it was in July of this year, so not too long ago. And reading it, it just really struck me. I think she raises a number of really great points in the article. It's really a piece. So it's more sort of an essay, not really an article per se. And I think it's really profound and it speaks to all of us as physicians and also to medical students. There's a lot in there about that what changes really in the way we view the physical exam going from medical student to doctor and whether or not that's a good thing. So I think it's great. I think it's a really great topic. Yeah, it's a good piece. It's Again, one of those different things, most of the topics that we cover are pre-med topics. We've covered some medical school stuff, and we've covered some just doctoring stuff. And this kind of goes along the whole doctoring aspect. But it's something, once we start talking about it, you'll realize this is something, it's almost like a mindset that you have to get in from day one. And hopefully, we'll help you with that mindset with this. Yeah, I think... As practicing physicians now, when we see things happen in the medical world, we as advisors to you all are trying to provide as much information as we can to help you on your path and to hopefully prevent you from falling hazard to some of the things that we see that are not great about our profession. Yeah. And hopefully you won't be. I was browsing one of the forums yesterday and there was a topic has a physician told you not to apply to medical school or something along those lines? And it was just post after post after post of, yeah, this doctor told me not to. And yeah, this doctor told me not to. So hopefully listening to this podcast and hearing some of these things and listening to us talk about it kind of opens your eyes a little bit more, gives you a little bit more information as you begin your journey so that on the back end, you aren't as frustrated and disillusioned maybe. Yeah, absolutely. So why don't you start off by talking about this essay that you call it? Well, it begins by her discussing what happens to the physical exam as you go from medical school and onward. So in some ways, this may sound sort of like a mini book report on her essay, but we're sort of framing it that way because she is, and if you read this article, I absolutely recommend that you do. She raises, as I said, a number of really great points. So we're just going to sort of dissect the piece and talk about our thoughts about what the points she raises and then add some of our own comments at the end. So just to give you a kind of a framework. Okay. So I'm going to start by talking about learning the physical exam. In most medical schools, the, the general time frame for starting to learn physical exams is really freshman year. You took, freshman. I freshman, love you freshman. Did I just say freshman? You did. Wow. wow. There's no such thing as freshman year in medical school, but I guess you could call it that if you want to call Why it Why can't we call it because that? Because it's not. You're a freshman in high school, you're a freshman in college, that's it. End uh, of story. I am going to start a Kickstarter campaign oh, to, geez. to call it freshman year. No, med and I'll tell you, I don't want that. It should be fresh woman. There's no freshman. I don't need that. Let's not even get there. (laughs) Anyway, so your first year of medical school, you start learning the physical exam. I remember, was it our first year where we're doing eye exams on each other? Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. I cannot have light shined into my eye, shone, shined, (laughs) shined into my eyes. I'm a pale redhead and I have very sensitive eyes because of that, just my general complexion and 
Irish nature. And we were doing physical exams on each other. And that's what you do in medical school. You become very close to your friends because you, you're doing exams on each other. And I had to sit there and hold my eyelids open with my fingers so that somebody else could look <laughs> into my eye. And I don't know how uh, good it, of a patient I was at well, that time. Well, and don't forget that you also were crying like tons and tons afterwards and during. <laughs> I wouldn't call it. My eyes were watering. Yeah, it's you, not it was crying. a faucet. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> so the, the physical exam, you start learning very early on. It's kind of goes hand in hand with anatomy lab. You just start learning the physical exam. It's important. And we'll talk about the importance as a, we get there. A lot of medical schools call it your physical diagnosis class or and a lot of schools, too. They will have you go into the clinic to start working on obtaining histories and practicing the physical exam from day one. Yeah. So it's obviously built into the curriculum. It must be important. So it's something that we practice for the rest of our life. Well, it is. And also, not only do we really work so hard in the first years of medical school at perfecting this exam, I remember, and I'm sure you do too, Ryan, that at some point in our medical school years, and I think it was in, uh, toward the tail end of our second year, we were tested on the physical exam and we had a standardized patient and there was someone in the room with a clipboard and that person was watching everything we did. And this was the full physical exam, literally from head to toe, minus rectal and genital exams and everything. But it was really, really in depth. And it's amazing to think about how long that whole physical exam was because it was at least, I mean, 10 solid, 15 probably solid minutes of just examining a person. And you think about, this is exactly what this article is talking about, how much time is spent doing the exam later. So that segues into her whole first part of this piece is, is talking about how these, as we're saying, the first two years in medical school, you're training so hard while you're anatomy class and your biochem class and pathology class, and you're learning how to do the physical exam and do it really skillfully. Then fast forward to your ward years, which are in most traditional medical school curriculums, your second two years, so your third and fourth year. So she talks about how medical students, they enter the wards and all of a sudden they see physicians around them, their mentors, their teachers, barely examining people at all. So what is going on there? I don't know. Well, so why do we not? I do know, but that was my dramatic pause. (laughs) It's really sad, though. So, I mean, this is the art. It's the craft of medicine. And what is happening? Well, what do we have going on in residency and practice that is, if you ask the insurance companies and everybody else, so just as important or more important than the physical exam? We have our electronic medical record duties. (laughs) So she talks about how you have a patient coming in, a complicated patient. Ryan, I'm sure you can... You've had experiences like this. I've had many where you have a complicated patient. And what I mean by that is a patient who has multiple chronic medical problems. They come into your office and they're there with an acute issue. And in primary care, this is you know different than it is for me in neurology, but it, same kind of concept. They come into the office. They're there to talk about this acute issue. And by the way, you need to review their medications or as we call it, reconcile their medications. You need to review their labs. You need to provide education, counseling. You need to document all of it in the electronic medical record, that part of which I do later. But anyway, and, 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 and if you skip any of this, if, if you skip these reconciliation of meds or the reviewing of the labs, it can not only affect your productivity. I mean, you can get dinged. You can, can affect your bonus, your reimbursements. 
and you can get in, in trouble with the organization where you work. I mean, they actually run sort of queries where they look at all the physicians and make sure everybody is dotting their I's and crossing their T's about this stuff. Yeah. They're auditing the records and it all goes back to coding and making sure that you're billing properly. And there's a whole science behind that. And that's really out of the scope of this podcast in general. So we won't dig too much into that, but it's one of those things that there are so many other duties as a physician that you need to accomplish. And that's part of why we're talking about this is because you need to realize that when you become a physician, it's not like you're going to spend 100% of your time talking and touching and doing exams and operating and whatever else you're doing with patients. The Johns Hopkins study that talked about the time spent in a hospital that in turn spent in direct patient care, it's 11%, right? 11 or 12%. Yeah. Yeah, It's nothing. So there's so many other things that need to be done. And you've hit on a couple of them. There's Ordering new labs, ordering new tests, reviewing old ones, writing... I didn't even talk about ordering. I was just talking about reviewing. (laughs) Writing notes, talking to the nurses, talking to physical therapists, talking to all the other team members. Exactly. Yep. And she has this quote in here that is just so sad, but it is something to think about. She says, quote, in practice, performing a complete physical exam, including stepping out of the room to wait for the patient to undress, and again at the end for the patient to redress is a luxury available only to open-ended teaching sessions with students. So if you're a medical student out there, or if you're a pre-med student out there, and you're thinking, well, you know, I'm working so hard to become a physician, and someday I'm going to get in there, and that just must sound so deflating. But... So let me, I'm going to play devil's advocate. Well, I was going to say, though, that it's not necessarily the case, and we'll get to that later, but please, play devil's advocate. <laughs> so, for the most part... And I do primary care. That's what I do as a flight surgeon. I don't have a need to undress the patient all the time. Mm -hmm. Neither do I. Just their shoes and socks. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) If somebody comes in with elbow pain, I don't need to undress them. Someone comes in with belly pain. I don't need to undress them. I can have them pull up their shirt. True, but devil's advocate to you, those are acute issues. So what about your annual physical exam? I deal with young, healthy people. (laughs) Okay, so Ryan, you're smiling. This is going to segue beautifully into our next topic, our next comment or statement in her piece here, which is about the guilt we feel, right? So she talks next about the guilt we feel as doctors for sort of glossing over or skipping over this part. So in medical school, they actually teach you that you are never, ever supposed to put your stethoscope onto a patient's chest over their clothes. I have this awesome skill. (laughs) That and it's a special it's supposed to be a good role model. It's just it's a special stethoscope that lets me hear through shirts. Okay, Superman. Anyway, I won't listen through a sweater or a sweatshirt or anything, but it's just a regular cotton shirt. No, no, no. So anyway, she says, "quote." And again, I'm just going to quote her one more time here because I think this is so poignant. She says, "quote All doctors have, though we typically don't like to talk." this because it stirs an awkward mix of guilt and longing within us. She's talking, by the way, about, again, skipping over the exam or really just doing it very hurriedly. She says, we recall wistfully our rounds of students when our bow-tied and starch-coated attendings unhurriedly probed every fingernail bed, meticulously percussed the cardiac contours, palpated the epitrochlear lymph nodes. And she then ends by saying, we feel that we are remiss with our current patients, that we are skimping on what is the synchronone of the doctor-patient connection. 
Must have been a neurologist with that bow tie. The bow tie comment, I know, right? Actually, and it's not, I mean, she's, oh, I see. You mean her attending at the time, yes, because yeah. she's in internal medicine. But yeah, so. And I don't I'll, know about guilt. I'll tell you, Ryan, I can totally relate to that comment. A hundred percent. Because I've been there too. So I remember, not so much in medical school, because again, you're in medical school at the time. And I bet you, you were told this too. They said to me and all the other medical students there, and, and I've heard this multiple times, as a third year medical student, you have the most time available from, you know, among anybody else on the team, you have the most time available to spend with the patient. Yeah. So at the time, that's so exciting because, I mean, you are the go-to for that patient. You know the patient backwards, forwards. Anything about that patient that needs to be done, it's on you. So it's great. But it's a little bit sad if you think about it, right? So the attending, the fellow, the residents, they are removed a little bit. Anyway, so, but this whole quote, it's just, again, it's talking about how during training, you have all this beautiful time, this wonderful time to really learn and understand. And then fast forward and... Well, wait, and w- you skipped over how you can relate to this. Well, wait, I'm, I know. Give me a second. I'm a little <laughs> slow tonight, I guess. Ryan's saying, pick up the pace. So for me, I fondly remember those times, bow tie or not, being taught by my attendings and then get into my residency, my internship, my residency, where you are hurrying. You're hurrying all the time. I mean, you barely have time to eat. You're trying desperately to get all of your work done, do all the things that need to be done for your patients. And you do sometimes find yourself, or at least I have, glossing over parts of the exam. You know, I used to say, and this is, I'm being very, what's the word? Authentic here. Very honest. Sometimes we used to say in residency, as long as you can hear a heartbeat, a breath sound, and a gurgle, you're all set. (laughs) Wow. Right? That's terrible, though. But I'm just telling you, as physicians, right? So in neurology, I mean, that's really, you know, we're much more focused on the rest of the exam, our neurological exam. We're making sure that the patient's breathing and their heart's beating and everything. Okay, but this is during your neurology. Yes. Not, yes, not during it, your no, internal no, medicine. No, 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 no. Okay, if, but That would have been horrible. Yeah. No, I did do a much more thorough, you know, general physical exam in my intern year. But as a neurology resident, yes. I mean, it was, <laughs> you just, you needed to make sure that they were alive in their chest and their abdomen. But otherwise, you were mainly concerned with their neuro exam. Anyway, point being, Ryan. I definitely have felt guilt from time to time that, yes, I could have spent more time on the exam, but I felt the pressure to do all of the other things that I needed to get done. And some of them, by the way, were extremely important, like going to have a family meeting with the patient down the hall who I was also taking care of or responding to a code or, I mean, things come up. It's not that we're saying, oh, it's all administrative stuff and we're always called away from the patient to do this stuff. No, I mean, some of it's really, really important too, but I do. That does resonate with me, feeling that that sort of guilt. So I don't know if I've ever felt guilty, but I don't know. We'll see. (laughs) So there's the physical exam and then there's the history. We're always told diagnosing a patient always starts with a good history and physical. A good history and physical will get you 90% of the way there. Actually, the way I was taught, history is 90% and the exam is 10%. And together, 90% the way there. (laughs) I don't know about that math, but I'm bad at math, but that's pretty bad. Anyway, yeah, that is what we were taught. And I'll tell you, my mentors, my teachers in residency, it's 100% how I was trained. The history is the hallmark, is the key to figuring out what is going on with the patient. So my take on this piece that she wrote, I do think there's a way to sort of continue to embrace the physical exam and its importance if you hold true to that fact that, yes, 
we have CT, we have MRI, we have x-ray, we have a million different, we have fMRI, we have a million different things to offer nowadays, but in terms of testing. But at the end of the day, if you talk to physicians who have been doing this for many more years than Ryan and me, if you really hold true to 90% is your history and 10% is your exam, then really, I think you will at least hopefully prevent yourself from just shooting in the dark and ordering a million tests. All right. So I know we have it later on here, but we're going to talk about neurology a little bit because you guys are the kings of and queens of the physical exam. The neurology exam is something that that you guys hold sacred and you think everybody else just doesn't know what they're doing. But (laughs) that's a different podcast. Okay. But there was just a big article with one of your mentors from Brigham and Women's Hospital. And it talked about at the bedside, is it Dr. Roper? Dr. Alan Roper, who is one of the most amazing mentors and just an incredible neurologist. So Dr. Roper talked about how he could pretty much pinpoint where a lesion was in a brain, where an infarct happened, where a... Infarct meaning stroke. Yes. Where something happened to the brain from something Mm -hmm. and from a physical exam. Absolutely. So why doesn't it end there? Well, I'll tell you so something. Mean, for, for, meaning, for many neurologists, it does. It does. And that's, see, that's okay, the wait, difference. Wait, hold on. I was going to say, meaning, as soon as he pinpointed that exam, he said, okay, let's order an MRI and let's Actually, see he it. doesn't. That's the thing. So training there where I did at Brigham and, and Mass General, it's not the case. And actually, I'll tell you the honest truth, Ryan, in practice, in private practice, I've seen way more test ordering than I ever did in residency. In residency, there were times when we encountered a very challenging case where it was very, very hard to figure out what was going on. And there were times that for these very complicated, challenging cases, there were many tests ordered. But as a rule, yes, I ordered less tests as a resident than I do now. Okay. And the way I was trained, I really, really try to hold very fast to that you really do. I mean, so what are we talking about? The beauty of the neurologic exam and part of why I love my job is that we do something that other branches of medicine and surgery don't. We localize. Neurosurgery does this too, but not as good as we do. Not as well as we do. (laughs) So, no, that's not true to my neurosurgical colleagues. I'm just kidding. But anyway, the point is that, as Ryan said, somebody comes in with neurologic symptoms, and the first order of business is figuring out where the problem is. Not what the problem is, but where. So with the skills that we learn in the neurologic exam, we're able to figure out based on somebody having slurred speech or weakness on one side of the body, where the problem is originating in the brain or the spinal cord or elsewhere in the nervous system, the peripheral nerves, the muscles, the neuromuscular junction. So it's a beautiful thing. And it's a lot longer than the rest of the physical exam. There are a lot of parts to it. Just in brief, there's a mental status exam, cranial nerves, motor exam, sensor exam, reflexes. It's a long exam, which is why I always used to joke with people, there's no such thing as a short neurology consult. But it's a great thing because You get to the end of it and you have a very good sense after you've taken a really good history and done this exam, not only where, but also what could be going on with this patient. So what I actually literally tell my patients in the office, and I've said this many times is because sometimes they'll say, well, aren't you going to get an MRI or I'd like to get, you know, and I say, well, look, in my mind, a good neurologist is someone who takes everything based on what you're telling me and then your exam. What you're doing on exam is the key for me to figuring out what's going on with you. So you think it's 
is it the patients that are driving a lot of tests because they just want to see and... No, I think it's something else. And this is another point that she also talks about. What are we also doing in medicine these days, which is a major problem in the United States and the other parts of the world too. We are rushing around, putting out fires, avoiding lawsuits, right? So even if you are really, really skilled and you are in there and you've gotten a beautiful history, you have a really good sense of of what the problem is, you've done a great exam, you've confirmed where you think the problem is. If you're a neurologist, I mean, you can also feel a mass in the belly. And I'm not just saying neurologists are the only people that can figure out where a problem in the body is, but, and then you figure out what the problem is. So even if you've done all of that, then you worry, well, what if I miss something? What if I miss something and it comes back to haunt me with a lawsuit? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what do they tell you in medical school? In medical school, they tell you, you're going to get sued. It's that whole look to your right, look to your left, you're going to get sued. It's just a matter of when. Yeah. I don't know. That's why I like the military. (laughs) You can get sued in the military too. But that's not to scare everybody out there. We're just saying, again, we're sharing our personal experiences and things that we've learned along the way. But I think, you know, part of what Dr. Ofri is talking about here is that in rushing to put out these fires and ordering all these tests and spending all this time on the computer, we're really, our physical exam skills are going by the wayside. And the fact that to, I really don't like this excuse to quote unquote make ends meet where seeing a lot more patients, the primary care physician is. So they're cramming 20, 25 patients in a day with 15 minute, 20 minute exams. And so there really isn't enough time And so typically this annual exam turns into, how you doing? What's going on? Have you gained any weight? Do you have any new problems? Let me check your blood pressure. Let me check your weight. And anything you want me to look at today. And that's kind of what it turns into. Yeah. No, and I've seen recently, I've had some patients who've been established with a new primary care. And so I've seen what they've done and they've reported back to me. And sometimes they don't have time for an exam. They spend the whole time for this, let's say, first encounter, which maybe is 40 minutes because it's the first time you've ever met the patient. And there's no time for the exam. And I've seen it listed in the record, no time for the exam today. We'll do it next visit. That's not good either. (laughs) No, but I guess at least it's honest, right? So you don't have that guilt of, well, I kind of listened to the heart. But an exam is... Patient is in no apparent distress, looks well. That's true. I mean, you could eat. So, vitals. so some of it could have been documented. There are some that you couldn't always say. That is true. I did that on one chart when I was a medical student. What? Exam not completed. It was during an orthopedic rotation. What? Your exams in that are like two minutes. No, Your I know. notes are like two but it seconds. But was, it was a follow-up exam that just really didn't, I forget what it was for. It didn't need an exam. So did you forget? No, I put exam not done. Oh, because you really didn't. I didn't need, didn't to. need to. Okay. And yeah, I got. I you got, got reamed out. Yeah. So if you're listening, <laughs> for you listening, do not ever put exam not done. Yeah. And, and my pet peeve is never put not able to do. You're always able to do something. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway. Anyway, we're, that's another podcast. So what's the sort of, what's the silver lining? What's the good news in all this? So. Part of it is that there are physicians out there who are trying to, they're pushing to bring back the importance of the exam in the eyes of us as a medical community and the insurers and, and all of this. And that's so important. I mean, part of what we do as physicians, we are the only ones out there who are trained 
in doing the sort of comprehensive physical exam and then using our diagnostic skills to order the appropriate tests and et cetera. And we have a lot of practitioners who are also skilled in the exam and nurse practitioners and physician's assistants. But we can't, as physicians, in my mind and in a lot of people's mind, we cannot let all of the other pressures allow us to these skills that we've honed and worked so hard on in medical school to disintegrate in our fingers. I think a lot of it too can come down to, I don't want to say complacency, but I've probably felt a thousand or more abdomens. You know how many times I've felt an enlarged spleen? I know. But so Ryan, that's another point that she makes at some point in this article. I mean, so you might say, okay, well, you've taken a great history. Why do you even need the exam? If it's 90%, if you're up at 90%, why do you need that additional 10%? That's exactly the point. You could feel a thousand abdomens, but at some point in there, you are going to feel an abnormality. You're going to feel an enlarged liver or an enlarged spleen. No. And if you don't do it, then that whole point about you're rushing around trying to put out fires, you're going to miss the thing you could have picked up with just your fingers, with just your hands on an exam. Yeah. So who cares about odds? You know, it's finishing the job. So, and Dr. Ofri has an interesting sort of, as you put, touchy-feely point to all this, which it's really neat what she talks about. She takes a different spin on this in a way. She talks about how, yes, there's so much intimacy with the computer nowadays, if you will. You're constantly in front of the computer. Our eyes are almost, are spent more on the computer than the patient. And so when you put that down and you actually go over to the exam table and you examine the patient, it's what she calls a, quote, sort of non-romantic intimacy. And she talks about how that's the time when patients open up about their concerns. And she calls it sort of a refuge from the intrusions of technology. She's a really beautiful writer. It's a really great piece. Maybe we'll Um, have to get her on. I think we should. We should ask her. But anyhow, I thought that that was really interesting, too. And, And it's true. I don't know, Ryan, tell us about your experience and mine. It is true that when you're taking that time with just you and the patient to do the exam, that's the focus. And many times people do, I think, let their guard down more and and feel like they can tell you things during the exam that maybe they felt a little bit more uncomfortable about when it was you and the the computer and the patient. Yeah, I don't know if I have any specific examples, but I could buy it. Well, so that's the piece. And I think it raises a number of really of difficult points, things that we're dealing with as a profession that we wish we weren't. But I think that there, again, are There are some takeaways here that you as a pre-med and as a medical student can really hold on to. And I'm telling you, I mean, I really do try to continue the way that I was trained to really start from the history and the physical and everything else follows. And we fight every day to these pressures that are around us. But I think we need to keep up the fight. Yeah, I like it. It's important. And, And again, I hope that you listening... Take this information, take this knowledge, take our experience and the piece that Dr. Ofri wrote about, and just keep that with you as you go on your path. And when you see physicians auscultating lungs or heart through a sweatshirt, just think to yourself, you know what? That's not going to be me. Yeah. You always say, take the good, leave the bad, and don't get disillusioned. It's just like you were saying at the beginning that there are a lot of students out there who've been told not to go into medicine. Well, Ryan and I tell you every week that, or when I'm on, but he tells you every week, that we would do it all over again. And there are challenges that we face like there are in every profession. And we just need to keep holding true to things that matter so much to us as physicians. 
the reason that we worked really hard when we were pre-meds to get here where we are today and why you should keep working so hard to get there for yourself too. It is all worth it. Despite all the silliness that is sort of at the, on the edges that there's so much wonderfulness. Is that a word? Sure. (laughs) That remains. But that all goes back to something that we've talked about before. And that's back in session 45, which you can listen to at medicalschoolhq.net slash 45 is why are you doing this in the first place? Mm -hmm. And again, that's, we already talked about it a little bit and I know we'll talk about it in the future some more, but you have to be going into this with the right reasons in mind, knowing that once you get your MD, once you finish your residency, that's not the end. It's still an uphill battle. Mm -hmm. And we fight it every day. Part of how I fight on a daily basis is that I will not type a note as I'm sitting with a patient. I've had colleagues, some people in my office literally say to me, Allison, why don't you just type while they're talking? You'd get out sooner. You'd have less notes to finish up. I won't do it because part of how I maintain that doctor-patient relationship, and I have so many patients that I think about that I really care about, and, and I know their faces so well because I spend time sitting with them. What do I have in front of me? I have a piece of paper, a pad, and a pen. And that's how I take a history. It's not that I type it into the computer and I make a sideways glance every now and then to them. So there are ways that we can continue to try and hold true to what we really want to be doing as physicians. Good. But I agree with you. Yes, we need to stay. I think it's important to be informed about the challenges that we face when we get to the end of our pre-med path and our medical school path and residency and beyond. So what are your thoughts on this? What are your thoughts on kind of staying true to who you are and keeping with some of the skills that you've learned that you will learn in medical school? Let us know. Go to medicalschoolhq.net slash 98, which is the special show notes page for this specific podcast. You can find links to the article that we talked about in the New York Times. We'll have a link to that there and links uh, if we talked about anything else like the other podcasts that we talked about. We'll have links to all of that and you can leave us a comment and let us know and wish Allison a happy birthday there too. Gee, thanks. So we're up to... 208 five-star ratings in iTunes in the U.S. store, which is amazing. We had three more come in since last week. I want to thank T. Swisher. I said I was going to make you read these, but that's all right. T. Swisher, who says, amazing podcast, the best podcast I have found to help the non-traditional pre-med student prepare for medical school. Thank you. Nate Loudon says, excellent. This podcast has been one of the most helpful resources I have yet encountered on my journey. And Chino Sands, Chino Sands, yeah, says, very entertaining and informative. (laughs) Listen to this. I've heard almost every session in a matter of days. Definitely worth listening to. You know, there's like, there's a new term for that. There's got to be. I talk about um, binge TV watching. So it's like binge podcast listening. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sorry that you listened to us for. I'm sorry you listened to Ryan that much. Yeah. Just kidding. <laughs> That's a lot. I'm glad you listened to Hopefully that. you've enjoyed us, you know, more so now than when we first started. Yeah. So if you haven't yet gone to medicalschoolhq.net slash iTunes to leave us a rating and review, let me tell you that they greatly impact how much iTunes thinks of us. And I can see it every time somebody leaves us a rating and review, our kind of ranking in iTunes increases. So take a minute, go to medicalschoolhq.net slash iTunes. 
If you have any questions for us, we'd love to hear them. Go to medicalschoolhq.net slash question, and you can ask us there. We'll have links to email addresses and options to send us an audio clip like last week's podcast with uh, our audio question and answer. If you want to say happy birthday again to Allison, go to Twitter, Allison underscore MSHQ. I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast and got a ton of great value out of it. As always, I hope you join us next time here at the Medical School Headquarters. 